there's always either a false flag or a massive campaign to create a huge boogeyman. Now, Hitler is the all-time boogeyman. They haven't topped him yet. You have to always have to remember that history is written by the victors. Of, you know, hey, look, this is what the Allies did. It's the exact same thing you're punishing me for a war crime. So if we committed a war crime, you committed a war crime. Once that happened, America became such a warlike nation, and we've been a perpetual war ever since, especially when... Now, you have some other tidbits of really interesting information. One thing was Hitler and the idea that he was, wasn't, didn't commit suicide and went to Argentina. And I got to tell you, when I was teaching at the OVM, I had some students that, were, that lived in Argentina for a while that said that it was common knowledge in Argentina that Hitler was there. Yes. And people talk about well, it. I think, Go ahead. I think there's, there's certainly a lot more evidence for him uh, living and going to Argentina than there is for him committing suicide there. I mean, there's questions about the alleged skulls they found, and, and we're relying on the KGB, which is, you know, they're not exactly the most reliable source of information there. So I think there's no question about that. But I think everything, especially with Hitler, because and, and when I was talking about the Spanish-American War, and then you go to World War One, and of course World War Two, and then every war since then, there's always either a false flag or a massive campaign to create a huge boogeyman. Now, Hitler is the all-time boogeyman. They haven't yeah, topped is. him yet. They, yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they've, they've never, he's number one, and they've never been able to top him. But I think we need to take a, a, with a grain of salt everything that is said about these boogeymen because it's, it's propaganda. And, you know, the, just like you remember the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter, the tearful your testimony before Congress about the, the babies in the incubators. And it goes back to, you know, the, I believe World War One era, the, the dirty, sneaky, rotten krauts were, were bayoneting babies. And uh, uh, obviously with the dirty, sneaky, rotten Japs, and, you know, during World War Two, anything was, you know, they would believe anything with the, the false flag of Pearl Harbor. So I think that anything and of course, I realize by you know, a lot of people may say, OK, you're defending the Confederacy. You must love slavery. You know, I'm, I'm one of the well, few people that still talk about the 40 million slaves in the world today and why nobody cares about them. Well, but the other and, thing is, I had some people talk about the history of the Confederacy and slavery was on its way out. First of all, there's only one percent of the people down there that had slaves. And of those, yep. it was the South was really starting to uh, it was ending on its own. And then when we had that war, this was a whole other history book that I had an author on. When we ended that war, what happened is we ended up turning the South against the blacks in the in the South because they blamed them that now. Yes. And so now it continued, it prolonged their suffering instead of it was naturally ending. So you can really look at things in different ways. But I got to tell you, are we going to be censored here because this is well-established fact on a historical <laughs> event? I guess, you'll, I guess you'll find out. I don't know. But I, I hope Come not. on. You're challenging <laughs> well-documented facts. I, I challenge everything. I mean, but, you know, it's, it's, you know the, the thing about it is, and you mentioned that, uh, about uh, obviously the way uh, what happened is reconstruction after they hung Commander Wirtz, then they came up with this reconstruction plan, which is military occupation of the South. And people don't realize again, real history. The Ku Klux Klan was born during that era. Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was the first commander of the Ku Klux Klan, is considered such a vile racist. They uh, they wanted to try to dig up his body and his family a few years ago. I have the whole history. Nathan Bedford Forrest was actually one of the first white civil rights leaders later. He, the Klan was born, and again, I'm not, I'm not defending the Ku Klux Klan, 
But it's the, so the funny. I got I got to give you crap here, and you got to continue because people are going to be really interested in this. You okay. are really were a traditional lefty, right? I mean, before yeah. all this, you yeah. sound like a white nationalist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I, I'm just well. hearing you redo this history. And what people don't understand is you're just trying to get to the truth. And exactly. your, your soul, your person is not a, a bigot or a racist or any of we that. Love, I mean, trust me, people, so, I've had so yeah. many conversations with you. So to hear you talk about this, you're just trying to get to the truth. Okay, now keep talking about this. Yeah, well, the, the Ku Klux Klan was born. And again, this is not saying I support the Ku Klux Klan. The reason they wear white sheets is not because they're so weird, they want to hide, or maybe now, but not in the beginning. They did that because they were so under the thumb of the Union troops, and they incited the slaves. And we know there's still a lot of disgruntled blacks today that talk, that talk about the 40 uh, acres and a mule that they were promised. They were promised tremendous things that they never delivered on, much as the Indians would be promised stuff and all the broken treaties with the Indians and the Trail of Tears and all that. So they, they had a history of doing this. But people like Nathan Bedford Forrest, they came up with an idea to play upon the superstitious nature of blacks at that time. That's why they wore the sheets because they were thinking that they would think they were ghosts. And it worked. It worked. It, and, and, and then, of course, they, but the original Klan, for instance, uh, was, had, a, I believe, they, they counseled against the violence. They were just trying to scare blacks so that they didn't have to worry about that part of it. And of course, eventually, people like Nathan Bedford Forrest uh, got uh, disenchanted with it and he renounced it because the violence that was coming out of the Klan. And, and again, I have in the book, people can read about how he was actually a, an activist for uh, blacks to be given opportunities everywhere in society. He was an early day civil rights activist, but now you would just, he's the first to, you know, director of the, of the Ku Klux Klan. So he's, he's hideous and a beast and we can't talk about him, but that's not the case. And well, cause it morphed yeah, into it, something you're, different. You're, yeah. I mean, it wasn't that at first, but why were they trying to scare them? Because some of the blacks were angry with what was going and they were, they were doing they violent been, back to innocent people. Right. They had, and they okay. had been, I mean, it was, it's human nature. Sure, yes. They were, well, they should have been angry. I mean, the North lied. Right. And they, and they were, they were incited to, you know, that, that property belongs to you. Their women belong to you. Their goods belong to you. They were told this. And they were protected. So, of course, and then naturally the Southerners, what, what the Southern pride that was left, they, they, they naturally objected to this and they became uh, angry and angry because they, they had been, they were basically becoming slaves themselves. And again, these were, again, these were all white supremacists by today's standards. I pointed out 99.9% .9 of every you know, white people that existed at that day would be, be considered vile racist by today's standards. That's just the way the times was. They were used to living in a slave-master relationship. Even the people that didn't, and you pointed out, very almost a minuscule amount of people had slaves. Most white people did not have slaves. But what happened out of this was real racism was born. Yes, it because was. They, yeah. it, because what happened, then you had the Jim Crow, all the onerous laws that resulted in Jim Crow laws. You had separate but equal. And as Langston Hughes, one of the, the first great uh, black poets, was saying, this is a dream deferred and it's going to explode. And it did explode 100 years later. But you had – and Ron Paulus talked about that. You had 100 years of this awful racism that was born because – and it was all because of the way the slaves were freed. And uh, this goes back to Thomas Jefferson when people criticize him for not freeing his slaves at death. He had a plan for emancipation, but he actually had thought it through. 
and realized you can't just suddenly throw all these people into the deep end that have been in many cases legally not allowed to learn to read or write, have no skills beyond picking cotton or you know, basic physical skills. You can't expect them to suddenly, okay, unleash them into society, especially to a group of people who have seen themselves as superior to them, and in some cases had actually been their masters. You can't expect them to suddenly say, okay, well, we're accepting you as equals. That was not going to happen realistically. Jefferson had a plan where you know, he would go up to a certain point, there would be gradual emancipation, education and emancipation to try to put them on an equal footing. His plan made sense. Lincoln's plan and the radical Republicans' plans was, was frankly ridiculous, and it was bound to explode, as Langston Hughes said, and it, it created a century of bad race relations when there's, there's not any evidence that, uh, you know, and of course, I'm not saying, you know, slaves are happy, but there's not any evidence that American slavery was any different than slavery anywhere else in the world. In fact, it might have been better because, uh, I, you know, it's, the slaves were it was well bad. treated. It was bad. Well, of course, it was bad. But, but yeah, I know, that, I know, say is that, that is you can't make a, a slave relationship good. But the the what I object to is that they try to make it seem as if this was something unique to America and was so worse than the other slavery. And that's simply not true. And if they cared about the concept of slavery, they would worry about the 40 million slaves in the world today. Get the best priced and most bioavailable TA65 telomere lengthening product on the market, the BioEnhanced TA65. Being that TA65 has been proven to lengthen human telomeres, it has historically been priced at thousands of dollars and out of reach for most people. But this new low-dose formulation with up to 50 times better absorption now makes it a realistic option for those seeking the telomere lengthening benefits of TA65. At only $100 per bottle, it is now more affordable than ever at the lowest price seen in the market. Buy today with confidence with the link below. Including 10 million, in, 10 million in India. The problem is you can't put a boycott on India because the concept, the, the, the idea of slavery by the cultural Marxist, on, again, on this left side, they've taken it over and equated it with sneering, you know, tobacco uh, spitting Southerners whipping their slaves and they got kind of nonsense. The worst of the worst. Built up. Yes. And that, so that's what people think of instead of, well, wait a minute, what about the slaves? How can any, why can any slaves, especially Hollywood, you guys care so much about slavery that you make 10 movie, new movies about it every year to whip modern day blacks up and, you know, getting them upset again, which I guess that's the idea. I don't know what else. It can't be entertainment to constantly dwell on it. But why don't you make a movie exposing the slaves in the world today? They're silent about it I know. because it's not, it doesn't fit into their agenda. So it's, you know, it's a way of looking at things. And you're right. I, as someone who, who was a Democrat for my, in my youth and who loves John F. Kennedy, loves the Kennedys, Huey Long is my hero, Smedley Butler. I talk a lot about General Smedley Butler. And this, these are all leftists, but they're, they're the kind of leftists that Cynthia McKinney is today or Dennis Kucinich. And how outnumbered is Cynthia McKinney and Dennis Kucinich by the other kind of leftists that are just awful? And I think that happened back then. They're not leftists anymore. The, the whole everything. I don't believe in the left right paradigm. No. I believe in trying to help people and not help people. We do have legitimate differences on how you set up a government on the, like how much yeah. government sure. you have involved and things like that. Those are legitimate differences. But what we're talking about now <laughs> is 
totally different. I mean, we're talking about major crimes and tyranny yes. and just trying to clean up some basic stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, it's I, again, I think people need to, and I, I'm not trying to sound like a, a, a defender of the Confederacy or a defender of uh, Nazis. You know, this is, this is not my intention, but my, as I point out, that's why I don't go into Holocaust or anything like that, because I understand what an emotional issue that is. But my, my sense in, in writing, especially about the World War II, as I said, you know, you can't, you have to always have to remember that history is written by the victors. So if, if uh, the South had won the, the Civil War, we would have an entirely different history, an entirely different country, but there would be a whole reality. Lincoln would be the greatest uh, criminal ever and so forth. And, and the same way if Hitler had won World War II, I mean, he, I don't know what would have happened after that, but if his side had continued to prevail, he would be considered great. And not Roosevelt and Winston Churchill would be the great uh, terrible. So you have to remember that. But people have such a hard time, especially with Hitler. And as I point out, you know, I write about hidden history. So I'm well aware of all the, uh, the atrocities, uh, that real or, or just accused by the Nazis or the Japanese, the Axis powers in World War II. So I don't need to write about that. Everyone knows about it, has heard about it. I'm trying to present the other side that we're supposed to be the good guys. And we bombed Dresden, a city that was a one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and I think killed 38,000 toddlers or something. Just unbelievable statistics that you can't imagine. And they didn't have, what I read in your thing is they didn't have oh. industry there. They didn't have I I military. They didn't, it was pretty much where the people were going to have a safe haven. And they, they I mean, there was no strategic advantage to bomb, to bomb that city, but we did well, it, it anyways. And, and it was born out of that attitude that happened under General Sherman, where women and children, okay, we killed 38,000 toddlers. Well, you know, we had, to, we had to beat them. We had the same way. Well, why did we drop the bomb on uh, Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima? Japan was already defeated, but they were proudful people. This was the only way. And, and you actually had that, that Orwellian thing. Well, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the bombs dropped. They saved lives. You know, that, that's their attitude. And these are the kind of things that uh, just because and I talked about the Nuremberg trials, the, the defense that the Nazis put forth over and over again were to present, present a lot of the examples I present in this book of, you know, hey, look, this is what the allies did. It's the exact same thing. You're punishing me for war crime. So if we committed a war crime, you committed a war crime. And I, I have uh, many people on the record that said, hey, you know, if we'd lost, we would have been up there. You know, we would I, I don't know that the Nazis would have done the same thing. It had a war crimes trial, but certainly by any definition, what what the Allied troops were accused of massive rapes, tons and tons of rapes, and just you know shameful things. And of course, I understand by doing that, I, I'm upsetting people that like this idea of the greatest generation, and you know we were, and they have uncles and grandfathers and so forth that that, that died in World War II and were considered heroes. And I, I I'm not trying to denigrate any of them. I'm just saying that. This is what happened, and it's, it's pretty much why I'm always against war, and why I think like General. Well, do you think war? Yeah, do you think war creates that mentality? I mean, people get into this mindset where I mean, they're in the survival mindset. They're watching their buddies next to them get killed, and they turn into the most basic primal of animal. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what else to you know because it's. War does this everywhere. It's kind of the story. Yeah, well, of that's war. why that... it's it's hell. It's yeah, the definition of hell. The, the, the idea that you can come up with war crimes 
is ridiculous because by its definition, war opens the door to crime. And again, I think it's just the victors uh, pointing out the crimes, real or imaginary, of those they defeated. But I think that up until, again, up until the Civil War especially, I don't think there's, I think war was conducted, certainly the uh, the Revolutionary War was conducted, especially the British Redcoats. I mean, the Americans with the Minutemen hiding behind trees, that was considered, uh, you know, what are you doing? That's sneaky. You know, the British are just marching out in the open in their bright red uniforms. And there was, a, you know, That was honor. stupid, though. Yeah, It was but... stupid. Of course it was stupid. <laughs> like, but, I'm never going to say it. That's an honor. And, and, exactly. Maybe, but, that, but, that, but it's that, stupid. That, that, was the, yeah. that was the mentality. They had yeah. They had an idea where you have, you know, there's honor. And, and I, you know, I don't even understand. That's why, again, that's why I'm against all war. Because I think, yeah, by its nature, war is crime. And it, it opens the door. And I, But I think that it went, once the concept of total war was unleashed especially within America, I think we've, we, our troops and our military have, have basically followed that ever since then in every war we've been in. And certainly, especially after World War II, and I talk a lot about that, this, this, this new style of war, which whatever faults uh, you know, I have with World War I and World War II, at least um, American forces are trying to achieve, win something uh, ever since then, starting with Korea, we started fighting these no-win, senseless wars of containment where everything was confined within certain areas. And we, we know from Korea where General MacArthur, Douglas MacArthur, one of the old line generals, didn't understand the new style and actually tried to win that war. And Truman called him home and fired him. And that's because that's what – and we had this new thing where uh, while real – anti-communists like Joe McCarthy, to the extent he would, and other, others on the right who were pointing out the connections between, especially the, uh, I believe the KGB files had, I, I don't know how many hundreds of officials within FDR's administration that were connected to the Soviet Union. And again, people just gloss over that. Just imagine if they, if they found, you know, a hundred people in the Trump administration that were connected to Nazis somewhere. I mean, do you think yeah, they would yeah. have oh. a, little, a yeah. bit of a different attitude there? But they just kind of glossed over that, and uh, it's from that time we started fighting. While they they denigrated real anti-communists, another one was James Forrestal, who I talk about his mysterious death. Where I don't think for a second he jumped out of a window at Bethesda Naval Hospital. He was also the first critic of Israel. I think he was murdered for sure. But you had people like that who, and he was good friends with Joe McCarthy, who were actually trying to point out these connections between a, a foreign government. And a totalitarian regime, and on officials that were supposedly ostensibly supposed to be their enemy, and I think that tore away a bit, little bit of the veneer of this fake Cold War, which the idea was to denigrate real people who were actually trying to point out real connections, and yet go into these no-win conflicts and 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 mouth have lip service to the evils of communism and the Iron Curtain and all that stuff, and it led to Vietnam. And the domino theory and all that nonsense were all those people, certainly, whatever you think of the other wars, anybody that died in Korea, anybody that died in Vietnam, and any conflict since then died for absolutely nothing. And I don't think anybody can even maintain there was a principle or any kind of thing. It's a shame when you know. Yeah. Yeah. Your freedom. Well, you know, one, one thing that you say is, you know, you want to learn history so you don't repeat it. But wouldn't you say that only learning history from the side of the victor it actually encourages you to repeat it? Sure. And that 
getting to the point of understanding true history by, and this is something I used to teach students, and I said, well, if you really want to learn history, you have to go in whatever war you're in or whatever conflict, you have to go read the side of the loser as well. And then you can really understand history and put it together and kind of balance everything out. And then maybe history will help you not repeat those same mistakes. But if all you're getting is the side of the victor, then you're going to learn a rosy scenario and you're going to be repeating it constantly. Sure. And really, you know, in, in our history, America, uh, other than, you know, and, and I'm not even, to tell you the truth, I, I don't know. I mean, I love the ideals that came out of the the war for independence. But I, I'm not sure where I would have stood there. You know, I don't know that I would have wanted to go to war with Britain. I don't know. But okay, I'll, I'll count that as I support that. I would have fought the War of 1812 because that's the only time we've actually been attacked. That was a defensive war. We had no choice. Of course, if your 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 actual territory, your landmass is invaded, then you have to defend yourself. But since that, and I'm not including Pearl Harbor because I think I demonstrated conclusively that was a false flag that you know wasn't a legitimate attack. It was designed to get us into the war. But other than that, every other war we fought was senseless. One of the things I point out about the war, and I actually had a, an interviewer that. Uh, it actually was an interview. It was um, the New York Journal of Books, amazingly enough, is reviewing this book and gave it a great review. It's when he published on the 8th. It's amazing. I thought for sure I'd be attacked as racist, and you know, but nothing. They, they loved it. And uh, one of the things they pointed out was a thing I think, again, I don't think anybody's I, – I, I was looking at you know what, what was done to try to avoid this conflict. And I talk about how shockingly little effort on the part of anyone. Any of the leaders in America to stop the Civil War from happening, nothing. there was nothing there. And I, I point out like a little argument between Martin Van Buren and Franklin Pierce about who should be the one to issue a statement of solidarity about trying to find peace. And they, they just quibbled over it, and that was it. There's nothing left in the historical record that anyone tried to stop this. And I think that once that happened, America became such a warlike nation, and we've been a perpetual war – Ever since, especially when we when we went international with the Spanish American War and then World War One, just was hopeless. As I pointed out, you know, people can talk about uh, can claim the Civil War and World War Two are good wars, and I think that's uh, you know that's yeah, <laughs> that, that's well. that's impossible. As, as Benjamin Franklin said, there's no such thing as a good war or a bad peace, and I I go with well, that. But a war no of defense, to... a war of defense. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't have a choice, oh, right? Yes. Yes. And just you know, yeah, I mean, there's there's some wars that you just have to fight, but th this is beyond. But I think you know, with our our soldiers committing suicide at alarming rates right now, I mean, people are tired of war, and it's hurting our society. It's hurting our communities. It's just destroying the fabric of. I mean, it really is destroying things. There's a there's a ripple effect that um, we're feeling everywhere. And then we create a lot of hate and animosity toward us. I mean, there are things that we can do to, to be better than just than being a warring society. But your book is, is really eye-opening and it has a lot of things that people don't know about history. And it, you know, it, it's something that's worth reading if you wanna learn more about history that you will not get in other books. Where can they get it? Well, it's it's published by Skyhorse, which is now actually some kind of division of Simon and Schuster. I never thought I'd see the day when I'd be listed as a Simon and Schuster author, but I am. <laughs> so, uh, amazingly enough, but they you know get it. it it's it's going to be in Barnes and Noble stores, uh, whatever other bookstores are left out there. Brick and mortar, there aren't too many of them. Uh, obviously, Amazon. 
uh, you know, the Barnes, you know, just basically all the places that you'd see. I mean, people like I'm writing for the American Free Press now, and uh, and, and regularly, and they're they're they did a big write up on it, and they bought a bunch of copies. So people, if they want to support what I think is the last really independent newspaper in America, uh, they can go and buy it from there. I, I don't know if. Uh, Alex Jones, they sold Hidden History. Uh, I'm going to try to see if they'll buy a bunch of those. Because if, if you support those things, if you support, I don't know if you have a bookstore or anything, but if you places, a lot, a lot of people have, you know, they're selling products, some sell books. So places, if you support a particular, uh, you know, whether it's InfoWars or, or American Free Press or something, you could always buy it through there and then the, uh, you know, they'll get, they'll get the money and you'll be supporting their organization as well. But it's, it's going to be easy to find. There's an audio book out right from the beginning, which is pretty cool. And uh, so, you know, people that don't want that can, can have the audio book right from the, from the beginning. So it's, uh, it's not going to be hard to find. It's just, I, I certainly, uh, I hope that enough people will read it because I think it's, it's eye opening and it explains Almost as much as hidden history does, because hidden history kind of lays out a more familiar path from the time of the JFK assassination, and more readers will be familiar with it. But I don't think many people realize the impact, for instance, that uh, the because up up until the Civil War, and I point out there was 15 presidents before Abraham Lincoln. Out of those, you could argue James, that Polk was uh, went overstepped his constitutional bounds with the Mexican American War, and you know that's another problem that. We have because land was grabbed there, and you have groups like La Raza that are still talking about it. But and Abraham Lincoln, of all people, you know, strongly opposed it on the uh, the floor of the House of Representatives. But other than that, the other 14 presidents previous to Abraham Lincoln, regardless of what you think about their policies, they stayed within their constitutional bounds. None of them tried to overstep their authority. Once Abraham Lincoln came in, as even the uh, court historians will say. He did not know the end of his powers. He thought as commander-in-chief he could do anything. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus, threw untold thousands of Americans into makeshift prisons for opposing his policies, no trials because the writ had been suspended. He shut down hundreds of newspapers. I mean, he, when, when Roger Stone was arrested a little while back at 6 in the morning, it brought back memories for me of some of the arrests that were even worse than that under Lincoln, where he, he arrested one of my heroes, Clement Vallandigham, who was his strongest Democratic Northern opponent in Congress, who was no Confederate, no supporter of slavery, but he opposed this tyranny that Lincoln was putting the North under, where you could not speak out, you couldn't, a newspaper couldn't publish articles against it, he would shut them down and throw them into prison. Vallandigham was arrested at three in the morning at gunpoint when soldiers burst down his home, and there were people that were arrested in church. This this happened, and it's been glossed over, and, and as a uh, Thomas DiLorenzo, who wrote a couple books about Lincoln that were highly influential to me, is he said, you know, there's a Lincoln cult, and it's all about making excuses for everything Lincoln did. And he said that when, you, that when somebody is your greatest secular saint, Lincoln is the greatest hero in American history, according to the establishment, according to the court historians. Well, as I write in the book, when we're celebrating Lincoln, what are we celebrating? And, you know, we're celebrating a crass politician whose very nickname, Honest Abe, almost certainly came, was bestowed upon him by his enemies early on in his career because it was a virtue he didn't have, like you'd call a bald guy curly. That's why, so this is, and his, the apocryphal stories that he walked eight miles to, to give three cents back and all these crazy stories that, that people believe. It, it gets to the point where, you know, probably have people that actually believe he was a vampire hunter. 
You know, there's there are actually people that so this is your greatest hero. And instead of because anything he did was used as precedence. And I, there's a couple journals that have come out recently. One of them is called Garrison. One of them is called Deep Truth, Deep Truth Journal. I wrote an article called The Awful Precedence of Abraham Lincoln. And it talks about the things he said, he, he did during the war. His uh, imprisonment of, op, of opposition was used later during World War One by uh, Woodrow Wilson, who tried to uh, revitalize the Alien and Sedition Acts that uh, John Adams used and Thomas Jefferson so strongly opposed. And of course, then it was also used uh, during World War II to just by Roosevelt, FDR, who did lots of awful things. Yeah, he yeah. Completed, completed the job Lincoln started, but to incarcerate Japanese, not only Japanese Americans, but people, again, it hasn't been publicized. There weren't as many, but there were a substantial number of German Americans as well, and even a smaller number of uh, dying Americans that were all incarcerated in concentration camps. They didn't get reparations, and they're not even talked about. But these were all used. Lincoln's precedents were used as an excuse, going back all the way to W. Bush, who used his uh, his aide John Yu cited Abraham Lincoln as precedent for the way uh, prisoners were tortured at Guantanamo Bay and so forth. Oh, geez. So, okay. Well, again, they can get your book at Amazon. Do you have a website? Well, I have a blog, donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. I write regularly on there. And uh, my latest piece is called America Dumb, Dumber, and Dumbest that lots of people have been, uh, I've gotten a lot of attention about that. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Will you stay after for my patrons? Sure, absolutely. Be happy to.